I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip. So hello there, welcome along to a brand new episode of the Eurotrip and I think it's safe to say a brand new series of the Eurotrip. Rob, great to be back. Hello, yeah that's James, hello I'm Rob and welcome to, I think we can finally say it's the 2024 season of the Eurotrip podcast, we've said it's coming over the last couple of weeks with the bonus episodes we've been releasing. But it's finally here. The 2024 Eurovision season starts now. And James, as is tradition, people might not know this. Regular listeners might know this, but if you're a newbie, you might not know. It's tradition that we start our brand new year here on the podcast with a series of A Contest and Me. Yeah, for the past three years we've done this, haven't we? Since 2021, we've always kickstarted in the summer with a series called The Contest of Me, where we invite some of the best-loved Eurovision personalities onto the podcast for a chat all about their love for this, the world's biggest music competition. We ask them all the same questions and to find out all of the best stories that they've got to do with Eurovision. Yeah, we've had some brilliant people in the past who have joined us. They've got all sorts of different roles in the world of Eurovision. They're involved in different ways. We've had Steve Holden, for example. He was on last year. He's the host of the official Eurovision podcast. We've had former artists. We've had... Who else have we had, James? We had loads of people. How can you forget Petra? Petra Merda. Oh, Petra, of course. Machine Series 1, probably one of the best guests we've ever had. Yeah, we always try and bring you some of the best names that you may not have heard from uh, anywhere else. We always like to speak to some of the best guests possible. So naturally, we thought we'd start the season by uh, me and you interviewing each other. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we'll tell you more about that in a sec here on the new series of The Contest and Me. Yes, here we go then. It's the return of The Contest and Me. We're going to dive into it properly uh, in just a moment or so. And we'll tell you a little bit about why we're kickstarting with us two and not some of the big guests from you. <laughs> I promise it's not just because we've not been successful in booking anyone. There are some big names on the way, some familiar faces and voices that you will know from the world of Eurovision. They're on the way in the weeks to come. But yeah, we thought we'd do something a little bit different over the next couple of weeks and we'll explain what we're up to in a little while. But James, hello. This is it. The 2024 season starts now. We're off to Sweden. We're off to Malmo. Indeed we are, yeah. It's, uh, we, we never did a bonus episode about that. I always get confused over the summer about what we ever did bonus episodes on. Have we spoken since we found out that it's going to be in Malmo? I don't think we have, have we? Outside of bonus episodes, of course, outside of the BBC and TAP not continuing their relationship, and outside of the bonus with uh, Lee Smithurst and Dan Shipton we brought you last week, no, we haven't. Not since our 2023 finale episode. So, yeah, I mean, I, for one, am excited to potentially go to a new destination that I've not been to. I've been to Sweden a couple of times. You've never been? No, I've been to Sweden a couple of times. I've been to Stockholm, obviously. Uh, people will have heard that on the podcast where we went to Melody Festival a couple of years ago. I've been to Gothenburg before as well, which is a lovely city, but never to Malmo. And also, James, importantly, never to Copenhagen, which by the sounds of it might be where we end up anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I knew I've been to both of them before uh, back in 2017. Uh, me and my brother Callum, as many of you will know, uh, went on a, a bit of a city break to Copenhagen and then got the train across the bridge uh, to Malmo for, for a bit of a day trip. So, yeah, it was a lovely place. Didn't spend nearly enough time as I wanted to there because we were only there for the day. So, yeah, hopefully, very excited to be heading there at Comain next year, which. We'll be here pretty much every week, won't we? <laughs> Until then, which is quite scary to think. That is absolutely terrifying to think that we will be here between now and, yeah, May, every Wednesday from now on. Is that right to say? There might be a break coming at some point. I've got a fairly big life event happening in October. So I think you can probably excuse me. I've got a couple of weeks off when I get married. Is that all right? <laughs> I think we might have to excuse you for that. Yeah, absolutely fine. But otherwise, yeah, we'll be here between now and May. Hello to any new listeners. If you're a new listener, if you've recently found us, welcome. Hopefully we will fast become your favourite Eurovision podcast. And just to give you a little insight into what you can expect from us, basically interviews with the biggest names, the best coverage, some of our podcast favourites, they pop on every now and again. We'll be heading over to Sweden to hear about the build-up to the contest, chatting to the people that are making it happen, and as ever, giving you an inside line on what's happening with the BBC and the UK at Eurovision in 2024. And as always, we want to hear from you because this is why we do the podcast. We try and entertain you, try and keep you up to date. So let us know if you've got any thoughts or questions or anything you'd like to get in touch with. Uh, we are online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok uh, and Threads now. Uh, we are hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. Add Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. But now let's get to it. It is time for episode one, series three, here on The Contest and Me, where we are, as James already explained, going to be chatting to some of the biggest names from the world of Eurovision, 
you'll know their names, and if you don't, you'll know their voices. And it doesn't matter if you don't know who they are, because you will get to know them an awful lot better over the next few weeks, because that is the joy of the contest and me. James, shall I run through the questions that we will be asking these guests every single week? They're the same questions we've had for the last few years, and as the old saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, please take us through the questions because this is one of the best things about the contest for me. No matter who the guest is, no matter who joins us each week, we always ask them the same set of questions. So you get to compare answers between some of your favourite guests to try and really figure out their, their different approaches uh, on the world of Eurovision. So after we look back, of course, on last year's contest or this year's contest, you know what I mean, the 2023 contest, we will then ask for the first Eurovision memory of that guest. We'll then ask them the moment they fell in love with the Eurovision Song Contest, their favourite Eurovision year, their most memorable Eurovision moment, their favourite song, and now this year, a slight twist on the question we were asking last year, we'll be asking, what can the UK do to return to the left-hand side next year? And then finally, we'll be finishing off with the one change that you'd make if you were in charge of the contest. If you were Martin Osterdahl, what change would you make? Put you in his shoes a little bit later on. So all the questions, they're all really straightforward. And you might think you're going to get some really straightforward answers. But often, guests come on and have got some great stories about how they were first watching the contest or some great ideas for what they really want to change. So we get a really, really good insight. And we will do over the next few weeks with some of our special guests. We've got a great back catalogue as well. As we've already mentioned, we've chatted to some brilliant names in the past over the last couple of summers. So do go back in the podcast feed and have a listen to them if you haven't already. But James, we've already alluded to it. We're kicking off this season of The Contest and Me slightly differently than we have previously because for this week and next, we will be hearing me and you for the first time ever on the podcast... I'll be interviewing you and you'll be interviewing me. Do you know what? This is going to be a really good way to get to know us a little bit better. We know there's been loads of you who have been with us since pretty much day one when we started the podcast back in summer 2020 when it was a bit of a just a bit of a lockdown project for for us too, wasn't it, Rob? Uh, and we know where we've got so many new listeners, especially this year when it when Eurovision's really taken off here in the UK. So we thought, do you know what? Let's for the first couple of weeks, try and allow you to get to know us two a little bit better because hopefully you'll be joining us week after week all the way through to Malmö and beyond. James, you are in the hot seat this week, so I'm interviewing you up first. How are you feeling about being in the interviewee's chair this week for a change? Yeah, it's it's very unusual, I must admit. Obviously, I'm sitting in the same, physically the same chair as I'd usually sit in to interview people. But yeah, at least I know the questions that are going to come my way. So you're not going to throw a curveball or anything. So that puts me at ease a little bit. Well, this is now going to sound very strange, but shall we get to it? Here's what happened when I spoke to you <laughs> a little bit earlier on. So here is James Rowe on The Contest and Me. <laughs> You're listening to The Eurotrip, your favourite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. So James Rowe, one half of the Eurotrip podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the contest and me. This is unusual. Hiya, Rob. James, 
I am fascinated by what is going to happen over the rest of this episode as we continue to chat, because I don't think I know the answer to most of the questions that we are going to ask, or at least that I'm going to ask you over the next, I don't know, half an hour or so. So me and the listeners will go on a journey of discovery together to find out more about your love of the Eurovision Song Contest and and your history with the contest. We have to start, James, with an experience that we both shared How we will start with every guest that we speak to on this upcoming series of The Contest and Me, your thoughts on the 2023 contest. How was it for you? It was great, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Find me somebody who doesn't say that Eurovision 2023 was great, honestly. You know, from the moment that I arrived in Liverpool, I think I got there the day before you, didn't I? Because you were away. And just the day I got there, it was sunny. It was was a lovely day the city was just full of people and families do you know and one of the things that always stands out to me about being in Liverpool on that first day was that it was the opening ceremony day but I think it was also the first day that the um the village opened to the public and it was like the family day so it was the Sunday so everyone obviously was off school all the young kids and I remember I was in a taxi driving past the village and the queue to just to get in was enormous enormous nothing like I saw uh, when we were in Turin last year or uh, when I was in Lisbon which was the first time I went to Europe nothing like I'd ever seen before and it was full of families parents with their young kids and just everybody was embracing it and wanted a piece of the action and I never ever thought I'd see Eurovision like that in the UK because we know what it's been like over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years or whatever, uh, where it's sort of been something easy to ridicule or whatever. But just that first day seeing Eurovision taking over the city with so many different ages of people and genders and just literally everybody wanted a piece of the Eurovision action. And that just sort of brought home of how special uh, Liverpool really, really was. Can we go back to the opening ceremony? Because I wasn't at the opening ceremony. It was something that me and you shared in Turin in 2022. I don't think the weather was anywhere near as good in Turin as it was in Liverpool for that opening ceremony. And actually, and this does make me sound a bit like a nerd, which I don't really mind. I remember listening to our episode where you were at the opening ceremony on the train to Liverpool that following day to just hear what you'd been up to. It sounded like you'd had an amazing time. Like it sounded so good, especially, especially that chat you did manage to get with Loreen, which was a very small <laughs> conversation, but it just sounded so much fun. It was. It was so much fun. And it was so busy as well, because you'll remember when we were in uh, Turin together, all the press was on one side of the carpet and then there was a bunch of fans on the other side so the artists could interact with both but in Liverpool it was exactly the same but it was just so much busier and it was right in the city centre the music was blaring every time a new artist was introduced and there was just so much of a buzz and obviously there was the uh the I don't know what it was it was like the National Lottery concert I can't remember exactly what it was but that was sort of at the same place and it was gearing up for that so there was some sound checks and everything going on beforehand too so there was just so much of a buzz around the city like it was officially the start of Eurovision week and I guess we sort of just use that as a throwaway comment, don't we? It's the the sort of official start to, to that week. 
And yeah, it was so good. The weather was really good. Apart from where we were standing, I remember we were sort of at the end of the carpet. Prime spot. Prime spot, right at the end. So a lot of the artists were like, right, we've had enough now. We can sort of escape and just (laughs) avoid the Euro trip. Um, But we still managed to speak to a lot, as as you will remember. And but where the sun was going overhead, it was going right behind whatever that building was. Was it St George's Hall? I think St George's Hall. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And the sun just sort of as soon as the artist started coming out, the sun just dipped behind it, and <laughs> just just a whole blanket of shade came across. And it was really smug because I thought I'll put an I put a jumper on for whatever reason. I don't know why because it was glorious. It was a brand new jumper, and I put it on on the morning I thought this will come in handy at some point and it really really did because everyone else was wearing these really small shirts and were shivering away in the shade <laughs> so I could just gloat about the fact that I put a jumper on. Queen Lorene, hey, yeah. Eurovision winner, hey, yeah. 11 years since victory, yeah. did you ever think you would be back here again? I get goosebumps, no way, can you imagine? I mean, I was wishing it, dreaming about it, like what if, but you know at some point I'm like it's never gonna happen. But then life just, you know, sends me this beautiful song and they pop the question, like, do you want to? I'm like, oh, is this really happening? And now I'm here, so you never know what you're going to get. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. Like, you know, you can't control anything. You just follow the flow. Wherever it's nice vibes, I'm there, baby. Lorene, very best of luck for the competition this oh, week. Thank you, honey. It's weird asking you about. Eurovision 2023, because me and you pretty much together for the entirety of Eurovision 2023. But what, is there a is there a a most memorable moment from that week for you? If if it's going to be your most memorable moment later on, then feel free to uh, to skip over it and uh, not give us any spoilers. But is there a moment that really stands out for you? It's not my most memorable moment for the later question, so I can't sort of talk about it. But I don't know actually what it is, to be fair, because it just, it all went by in such a whirlwind, didn't it? It probably did for you and for, for you listening at home as well. If you were there or if you watched on TV, it just sort of went by in a flash. I really, I couldn't, I honestly couldn't pinpoint it because... We were so lucky. We managed to speak to so many people for the podcast. And uh, I was at one of the, the shows, had so much fun, uh, so many fun experiences in the village as well. It was just a full, just a full week, really. Like there's nothing I would have changed about it. I feel like nothing really went wrong or would have changed anything. Uh, apart from the disaster we had with our hotel room, you should say that. Uh, <laughs> I did I did ask you this question because I was hoping you might mention the hotel <laughs> Yeah, we, I think we talked about it enough on the podcast in the run-up about the hotel room that we were going to have, about the wonderful experience we thought we would have. Uh, it did not be a wonderful experience whatsoever. Did we ever mention what happened on the podcast? I don't, think, I we don't think we. I don't think we ever finally brought this to light with the listeners. So I feel like now is the time, very briefly, before we get into the rest of the episode. James, what happened in our hotel room, which has made it sound a little bit scandalous, yeah. but what happened in our hotel room? Well, a lot happened. A lot didn't go to plan. The worst thing was that the rain started to pour in. Do you remember there was, I think there was two days where it rained in Liverpool, if you were there throughout the week. And both days, the rain just poured in above the beds. <laughs> we had a very leaky roof, basically. But it did result eventually in um, in us getting a, a good amount of compensation from uh, from the hotel provider. So all was well in the end, safe to say. It was fine. And I think both of our beds managed to escape the worst of the water damage. I can't say the same could be said for some of the other people we were staying with. <laughs> Yes, but if we can gloss over that, the full week was just incredible. The shows were great. 
the artists were lovely, the songs were brilliant, and the city just embraced it. You remember we were probably speaking this time last summer where uh, cities were bidding and being shortlisted and there was such a buzz about where it was actually going to be. Um, and I think, you know, Liverpool lived up to all expectations, really. It definitely did, 100%. Well, uh, I'll have the opportunity, of course, to, to share some of my memories on next week's episode. But, James, today is all about you. So let's start with the first proper question, shall we? So from now on, these are the questions that we will be asking every single week here on The Contest in Me. And we start, James, with your very first Eurovision memory. This is always a good question, isn't it? Because I feel like everybody's first Eurovision memory is really quite vague. And it's a really small nugget at the back of the head. And for me, it's exactly the same because it's 2009. And specifically, it's the voting sequence. So this... It's probably the first time I remember seeing Eurovision on TV, but I must have had some form of like knowledge about it beforehand because I remember watching the voting sequence and the UK that year was being represented by Jade Ewan with It's My Time. And I remember the UK was doing well <laughs> in the voting. And I remember thinking to myself, this isn't, this isn't usually what happens. 12 points to the United Kingdom. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Greece. There they all are. Thank you very much. There's the production team. <laughs> oh, we never normally see them in the green room because they get nothing. So there must have been something in the back of my head that I had knowledge that in the, in the previous few years, the UK hadn't really done very well. And in fact, I've just said that out loud. I remember the year before... I'd been on holiday, and I think I was on holiday when the grand final of Eurovision was on, so 2008. Which, which, which is now something you'd never even comprehend. I know, imagine, imagine. Uh, and I remember coming back from the holiday and then and then checking where the UK had finished. But obviously I, I was never watching Eurovision back then, so I don't know why I ever did that. I think I was just curious. And then seeing that we'd finished last, so... That was probably in my head for 2009. So, yeah, I don't remember anything else about, uh, about 2009. Apart from the voting sequence, seeing the UK had done well, I don't even recall sticking around to see that Alexander Reback had won, if truth be told. Well, help us join the dots then, because the next question is how you have gone from, you know, your first Eurovision memory, as you've just said there, to the moment you fell in love with the contest. So this is the moment that you become a, a fully signed up member of you know, the Eurovision hardcore community. Okay, so I definitely remember watching in 2010. So even though I don't really think I had any inclination to watch the following year, I then did, because I remember watching it uh, on TV in the living room. And I remember seeing Lena perform Satellite and thinking, this is great. I hope it wins. I don't think I voted, but I remember uh, seeing her perform, really enjoying the track. Um, and then, yeah, crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. And, yeah, is there any other memories from that year? I think the the flash mob, do you remember the, the flash mob they did all over Europe? Yeah. Ma- Madcon, I think, was I think doing they were. the flash mob. Yes. Madcon? I think it they just had They just had the their hit of the... The, the, or their cover of Begging, hadn't they? The year before, the same year? Yes. Uh, so. so yeah, that sticks in my head. Um, 
and then so I, I am getting to the point that I fell in love with Eurovision. I promise you. I'm just. <laughs> it's all right. We're enjoying the journey. Don't worry about it. I'm just connecting the dots. Then uh, again, it was just that flash in the pan. Watched a bit of it on TV, and then probably forgot about it. And then 2011, I remember I was at a friend's house. I think we were just having like pizzas and playing like Xbox and stuff like that. Um, and then as, as I, you know, as I did when I was like 13, 14 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember we turned it off because I think we were like going to put some TV on to see if there was any sport on or something. And then I remember it was like 10 or half 10 or something. And we put the TV guide on and I remember it said Eurovision Song Contest. And I remember sort of like, like face palm and going, oh, I wish I'd watched this. So at that point, I think I was like, okay, Eurovision, I really want to know more about it. I really want to watch it. And I was gutted that I'd missed 2011. Um, but then 2012, that is where I think I fell in love with Eurovision. That's where it came. So 2012 is where it all changes for you. 2012, yeah. So I was in year 11 in high school. So that was like GCSE years. It was my final year of school. And uh, so I was kind of like looking forward to the summer and that sort of thing. And I'd never watched the Eurovision semi-finals before, but however I'd done it, I'd found out that semi-finals existed. And I remember turning the first one on and seeing it from the very beginning. So like the opening film and all that sort of thing. And do you remember what the first song was in semi-final one of 2012? Oh, that is a good question. There's a specific reason why I bring it up, because I think they were still using the random running order in 2012. Yes, I think they were. And <laughs> because it was random, uh, the opening song for 2012 semi-final one was Rambo Amadeus. <laughs> of course it was. So you can imagine my, I don't know, horror or disbelief or whatever. Uh, seeing the first song in a semi-final was Rambo Amadeus singing Europe Neuro or whatever, <laughs> whatever it was called. And just sort of watching in disbelief thinking, what? <laughs> what is it? Because I didn't really have any concept of what the song was about when I was watching for the first time. And yeah, I was just hooked by the fact that something like that <laughs> was on the world stage. <laughs> Little did you know that, however many years later it would be, what, eight, nine years later, you would get the chance to have a, a Zoom call with Rambo Amadeus for this podcast. Oh, can, can I tell the story about the Rambo Amadeus, actually, about interviewing him? Of course you can, yeah, people would love to hear that. But I don't think I've ever told this story before. Um, we, we just started the podcast, so it was summer 2020, and or a few weeks beforehand, and we were looking at guests we wanted to book. And we weren't always trying to get the biggest guests. We were just trying to chat to people who had done Eurovision. And I remember, I think, I don't even know if I told you, I was like, I want to get Rambo Amadeus on because I feel like he's just going to be a barrel of laughs. So I booked him and um, I knew he was going to be on. It was like 2 p.m. on a Wednesday or whatever. And I think it was like 10 past one. And I had a really, it was the summer, obviously. And so I'd had a really lazy morning and I was only like, I was getting out of the shower at like one or ten past one or something. Classic <laughs> summer holiday, yeah. <laughs> I was a student at the time, so I think you can excuse it. And then he'd emailed at ten past one, fifty minutes before the interview, just going, I'm ready now. 
and I'm just standing and I'd like just check my phone to see the email and I was just standing there in town thinking oh Christ am I gonna like do I just so you've never seen anybody get dressed and like dry some hair just to try and make myself look presentable as quickly as possible and then jumped on and yet there he was in his kitchen and we had the most bizarre chat in the world and then I don't know if you remember at the time I don't think we do it anymore and we, we always used to get guests to sort of introduce themselves and like, hi, I'm Rambo Ramadis and you're listening to the Eurotrip in case we ever needed those sound bites or something. And I said, I'd forgotten. And then I got to the end. I was like, oh, do you mind just recording that line for us? And he said, yes, yes, of course. Let me go and get my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and he just went away and got the most like obnoxiously like peculiar glasses I think there were sunglasses or something and they had like wings on or something and just put them on and then like came right into the camera like that like he was just like sitting in a normal place all the rest of the time but then came like front and center of the camera and then just delivered the line and I just remember like turning the zoom call off thinking what it just happened <laughs> shall we move on then so we're going from 2012 the moment you fell in love with the Eurovision Song Contest to your favourite Eurovision year. Now, presumably, it's the year that happened between 2012 and 2023. But which one is it? I feel like whenever we've done this question in the past, everyone has always said 2016. Am I right? Uh, well, some people probably haven't, but a lot of people do, don't they? A lot of people say 2016. For good reason. Because there was so much about 2016 that just ticked all all the right boxes. But I'm not going to say 2016 because I feel like it'll just be boring. Uh, I also really want to say 2023, but I think that's a bit of an obvious answer as well. And we've already talked about it, so I feel like I'll put it to one side. But instead, I'll give you 2014. How do you think about that? I feel very good about that. Go on. Uh, so 2014, uh, obviously, it was like uh, a couple of years after that, I'd fallen in love with Eurovision. Um, 2013, I remember that was the first year I'd sort of watched and listened to the songs in advance. I didn't follow national final season, but I remember finding out that all the songs had been released. So I'd watched them, chose my favourites, bought some flags and stuff like that to have at home. But then 2014, so obviously I'd already had that 2013 year. So 2014, I knew what I was expecting. I knew what I was going in for. So I'd already chosen some of my favourites, had the flags ready and that sort of thing. And then just the, I think it's just like the visual aspect of Eurovision. We, we often focus on that, don't we? Like the stage design, the postcards, the colours and, and all that sort of thing. I think it just stood out on its own, didn't it, in 2014? Because as people, a lot of people will probably remember, the contest was being held in like the former... Was it like a shipyard? I always forget the, the term. It was, it. it was a, yeah, it was a former like shipbuilding warehouse, which uh, is remarkable to me as if the country of Denmark <laughs> don't have an arena that they would put Eurovision in. So therefore they did it in a shipbuilding warehouse. But no, as you, I presume, are about to say, that meant that it was like visually fascinating just looking at it on TV. It was. It was like nothing we'd ever seen before. The scale of the venue was enormous, like obviously bigger than most arenas because it was so vast and the stage looked spectacular and you remember like the stage was sort of made out of like those blocks I don't really understand what they were actually made of because I feel like half the time they turned up the tv screens and then the rest of the time they were like see-through and just what they did with that just visually looked great and always sticks in my head of like 
probably my favorite stage so that was always good and then obviously the postcards as well you remember the postcards that year where all of the acts in their 50 seconds or whatever would have to design the flag of the country they were representing which was just such a genius idea um i think maybe had a country done that before in the postcards in 2008 i think they had to paint their own flags but I think in 2014 I remember was the United Kingdom obviously represented that year by Molly Smitten Downs she made the Union Jack out of buses didn't she yes do you remember there was a call out uh from the BBC when they were filming their postcard for people to feature in the mm. postcard I'd love to know you probably would because you probably would have told me before you were you didn't like apply for that did you because I know I didn't I definitely didn't however Anyone listening to this, were you in the UK's 2014 postcard? Let us know at Eurotrip Podcast or Twitter, Instagram, send us an email, hello at Eurotrippodcast.com. We'd love to know. But I mean, yeah, you've said it there. There were so many moments from 2014. I remember Sea of Flags. Remember that was the Australian Interval Act? Mm. Remember we had we had Jessica Malboy, who obviously would later go on to represent Australia. So that was quite exciting. I think uh, Emily DeForest came back. She did Rainmaker, which is a yeah. hit in itself. You know, there were so many moments. And then Conchita winning as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I remember we spoke to uh, Carrie Grant on the contest of me last year. And she was the head juror for, for the UK on the jury that year. And she spoke at length just about how perfect of a song uh, Rise Like a Phoenix is and what a great performer Conchita is. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like I don't even need to go into lengths about about Conchita, because it's all been said before, and I obviously totally agree with. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we'd be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK 
and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. Add Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. James, we've teased this already because I asked what your most memorable moment of Eurovision 2023 was. What's your most memorable Eurovision moment ever? Mine is going to Eurovision for the very first time. So in 2018, I went to Lisbon. It was the first time I'd gone to a contest in person and specifically it was that moment of walking into the arena something that a lot of people listening have probably done maybe a lot of you haven't been lucky enough to get tickets we know how difficult it is but in 2018 yeah I was lucky enough to have tickets to uh, three shows so my first show was the Tuesday night semi-final so the the live semi-final on tv and just that moment of you've done it right Rob you've had tickets to live shows before and so you'll know what I'm talking about you know that moment where your ticket's been checked your bag's been checked or whatever and then you get to walk into the arena for the first time with so many thousands of other people who are there for the exact same reason and it's that moment you've been building up for for like a year since the last contest or you know for me in that circumstance the first time I'd ever been into a Eurovision arena and it was just that buzz of excitement from people around. And, you know, I said I walked into the arena, I sprinted into that arena because I was just so <laughs> desperate to get in and just like soak it all up. It was just like nothing I'd ever like felt before, really. Do you remember, like, do you remember your first time as well? You know what that buzz is like, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good moment for you to pick as your kind of most memorable Eurovision moment because everyone who's listening to this, if you've been to Eurovision, if you've been lucky enough to go, everyone will know what that feeling is like 100%. I mean, for me, I went in 2015. So I went when the contest was in Vienna, which is almost perfect because you've just spoken about your favourite Eurovision year being 2014 and Conchita won. And (laughs) that was obviously why I ended up being in Vienna. It rained the entire week. And I remember we had tickets. So this is me and uh, my girlfriend. We had tickets for Semi 2. So it was the Semi 2 live show on the Thursday night. And uh, Mons did Heroes in that semi-final. So I remember that obviously was amazing. But like you say, that moment where you go through like the security barrier and then the doors open into the arena itself. And I don't think anything can prepare you for that moment, really. There are so many flags, but there is just so much joy in one room. It's not like a sporting event where, you know, there might be a little bit of tension or a bit of ag or a bit of unnecessary (laughs) nonsense going on but Eurovision is just you know uh, an arena full of people having the best time of their lives so for that to be your most memorable moment ever I I can't disagree with what you've said. One thing I will tell you about being in that arena for the first time is I remember you because you didn't go to Lisbon right you you were I was not in Lisbon no. Uh, Well I remember I feel like there must have been more than one bar in the arena, but I only remember one bar feeding the entire venue. And I remember we went... That sounds like Eurovision. And I remember we, like, we went to the bar and they were, they were like on their bare bones. I feel like they had no 
drinks left whatsoever. And like no beers, no cider, nothing. And I remember we, I think we asked for like two vodka and cokes, a, like a pretty standard drink, not my usual go-to, but they were running out. They went, sorry, we've got no coke. Okay. Vo- like vodka lemonade? No, sorry, no lemonade, blah, blah, blah. What do you have that, what can, what can you put in the drink with the vodka? And said, I don't know, iced tea? <laughs> So I don't know. Is that a, is that like a is that a Portuguese thing or is that just like just so random? But yeah, I ended up having a having to have a, a vodka and iced tea while uh, while watching New Vision that year. Have you had one since? I, uh, remarkably, I have not. <laughs> oh no, that was so nice to reminisce on. As you said, you know your first Eurovision because everyone's first Eurovision is always so special. Let's go then to I think arguably this is the most difficult question of the lot which is your favorite Eurovision song there are plenty out there to choose from so what are you going to go with and I always say with this question I think it's fair enough if other songs also get an honorable mention if you want to yes well because I feel like you probably already think you know what my favorite song is I think I know which nation it comes from that's for sure well (laughs) well, exactly because so 2018 uh, France were being represented by Madame Ossier, which is probably the song that was in your head. And, you know, since then, I've always said, yeah, that is arguably my favourite song because 2018 was like the first year I'd obviously been to the contest and it was my favourite song going into it. So, like, it always has, like, this special place with me. And I remember hearing the song for the first time in the national final. And, yeah, it just, like, stuck with it for... For, for all that time but yeah this, it's so difficult to say this is my favorite song because it it really does like depend on your mood or like what time of day it is or what kind of day it is like if it's a grim day or if it's a really sunny day you're gonna probably want to play different music aren't you um so yeah what I did because I knew you're gonna ask that question obviously so I looked at what I put down as my ESC 250 last year obviously you know when you choose your 10 favorite songs to submit to like the ESC 250 poll every year so I thought I'd dig that out um and wrote down some like some of the others that I really wanted to talk about so can I give you a song that I'd never heard of until two years ago when I spoke to a different guest on the contest than me are you saying this is your favorite or this is just an honorable mention one of your faves yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna give you like two or three honourable mentions because I feel like they're worthy. But yeah, this is a song I'd never heard of until two years ago when I spoke to somebody on the contest and me, and they said this was their favourite Eurovision song of all time. I was speaking to Petra Murder, the host of 2013 and 2016, and she mentioned Ted Gordestad with Satellite. And I remember she said it and I thought, no idea what song you're on about. She did sing a line, which was delightful and helpful. And then, obviously, I remember listening to it to find out what it was. And it's just such a great song. And Ted, who's the singer, has a remarkable backstory as well. And yeah, just since then, two years ago, when I spoke to Petra, it's always stuck with me. So I love that one. Uh, I obviously, I say obviously, uh, but it is another one from France. Uh, am I allowed another one from France, Rob? For any of you who are new to the podcast, uh, James absolutely loves French music. <laughs> so safe to say that I, I assumed there would be a few French ones mentioned here. Uh, it's Barbara Pravi from uh, 2021 with Voila. Uh, again, it was 
I think loads of people had already sort of fallen in love with it before the national final, before she'd won it. Not me, but yes. <laughs> and I think I'd avoided like pretty much most of the songs that year in the national final beforehand and remember seeing it perform it live for the first time thinking that is obviously going to win the national final and it did and then her performance in the grand final at Eurovision that year was just so like emotional just that just the the energy she managed to emit in such like in a song like that a song that we probably hadn't heard at Eurovision for for so long um yeah it just it, it is just so so different to anything that like any country you'd, had, had brought in a, in a few years beforehand. So, so is is your favourite? So your number one, your your favourite Eurovision song. I know you've already given all the disclaimers that you know it depends on time of day and year and what you're wearing and whatever. <laughs> it's Madame Monsieur. I think so. I think it has to be, yeah, because it was sort of like that. The first time, 2018 was the first time I'd watched national finals like from other countries. So I'd seen it perform for the first time. Uh, I'd seen it get through, I think they had semi-finals that year, to then get to the final. And then I remember I saw them perform. I went to see one of the concerts in Paris, like in maybe like the March or something before the contest. So it was just like one of those artists and one of those songs that I've sort of always stuck with. Um, and then obviously got to see it live in the Eurovision Arena in Lisbon as well. So like, yeah, it'll always have a, a special place for me. So yeah, I'll probably have to say that. That's fair enough. I thought you might. <laughs> Let's move on then to talk about another of the big five. You've talked about France there with uh, Madame Monsieur. We're going to talk now about the United Kingdom. And unfortunately, I hoped we wouldn't be asking this question on the Contest of Me this year. Because anyone who has listened to the Contest of Me previously, you might know that when we started the series back in 2021, of course, we were coming off the back of the UK, having finished last with no points. So therefore, the question was, what can the UK do to get back on the left-hand side? But then, of course, in 2022 we came second. So the question became, what can the UK do to stay on the left-hand side? Well, we all know what happened in Liverpool. So now, James, what can the UK do to get back again to the left-hand side? Well, it's almost like you're asking somebody who made an hour-long documentary about what the UK needs to do to (laughs) to do well at Eurovision with that I made last year. Go back and listen, everyone. Go back and listen. It's in the feed. Please do. Uh, Yeah. Because the answer is almost really simple in the fact that you need a good song with a good singer who can perform it well like that's that's the crux of it isn't it really it is but it's not that easy is it it's not it's not um so yeah so long as you can take those three boxes right then you're going to be onto a winner there's no doubt about it like you look at the last well you look at pretty much every winner and it's always a good song like, it's always catchy, it's always memorable. Uh, it's always a good singer. Like, people don't generally have poor vocals. And it's performed well, like, visually. And it sounds good. Like, it all comes together as that package. But obviously, there's, like, the question mark about which artists from the UK will put themselves forward uh, to represent the country at Eurovision. But I think now... The BBC has this great calling card in Sam Ryder. They managed to get him through that partnership with TAP that they had in 2022. And his energy and his performance and and everything really came together that year. And obviously it didn't work out so well with May earlier this year. But the BBC can always say to artists and they can always say to record labels, 
look, if you've got an artist who has a great song and can perform and, and you know, those three boxes, then they can do well. They can go on to have a career like Sam Ryder has. You know, Spaceman got a number two in the charts. His debut album got a number one in the charts. He was like the, the New Year performer, whatever you call it, on the BBC. Like, he went on to huge things. And if there's an artist who wants to break in, then you can show them Sam Ryder and say, look, this is what you can do. But for the BBC now, obviously, without tap, there's the question mark of what happens next. You know, a new record label could come on board. And I think record labels can probably look and think it is probably a good idea. But then if they don't, equally, you know, the team at the BBC surely have contacts with other musicians and other record labels and publishers who they can knock on the door of and say, look, I know you you know, you know don't necessarily want to partner with us, but you probably have an artist who will want to give it a go. You know, they've got the full BBC support, you know, we'll like produce everything, but you know, it's your artist, you can come in, you can spend a bit of money, you can help publicize them. So I think this, there is that avenue if there isn't a, like a record deal partnership with the BBC. I think there is that avenue where it can still work if there are those artists who are willing to do it. So one of your answers then to this question is not to go back to a national final. No, please, no, thank you. Not, <laughs> no. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way because national finals clearly work. You know, Lorene won this year. She came through a national final. Uh, uh, Kalish Orchestra, obviously, they came through a national final the year before. Like, And I'm going to go backwards. Monoskin came through a national final. Like, it, National finals. Oh, don't do call Sam Remo a national final. People will be kicking off now. <laughs> national finals clearly do work, but the UK is not ready for one. Um, we've had national finals in the, uh, produced by the BBC before, uh, and obviously they used to work in like the seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever. But like in the noughties, and even more recently as twenty nineteen, the I just don't think they really work. And I feel like the public appetite isn't necessarily there. And I don't think you're going to get artists, at this stage at least anyway, who will say, yes, I'd love to do Eurovision. And then get told, oh, well, you've got to go through like another competition just to get there on a public stage. I just don't think artists would sign up for that, especially not the calibre of artists that you would want to represent your country at Eurovision. Obviously, there might be some up and coming artists who are incredible and will happily take that risk but I just don't feel like at this stage we're ready to be able to put that uh put artists on tv and give the British public that say in it just yet because I feel like we really need to be able to establish ourselves back in like the hierarchy of the best countries who perform at Eurovision and especially don't go back to a national final when we came up with possibly the most confusing format for a national final anyone's <laughs> ever seen in 2019. James, we've reached the last question. We've finally got here on our journey. And the last question is going to allow you to be Martin Osterdahl for a little while. Uh, maybe a dream of yours in the future, I don't know. <laughs> but what is the change that you would like to make to the Eurovision Song Contest, if you had the power, and you can do literally anything, and over the years, you know, we have had, you know this, we've had all sorts of different answers to this question. So what would you do? This is the hardest question of the set, I think. And, you know, even before 
the five minutes before we press record, I was still struggling to come up with an answer. Even though I feel like we always watch Eurovision and we might think, ooh, that's a bit naff. I wish they would do that differently. Or, oh, I've got a great idea. But then I think when you put on the spot, I, I, my mind's gone blank. I don't know if you feel the same. We'll probably find out in <laughs> in next week's episode. But I came up with three ideas. So I'm going to just throw them because I've got no like no grounds for any of them. So I'll just throw them at you and then you can choose one to like talk about if you want. Given uh, given what you said, you know about how much you know you you, you love French entries at the Eurovision Song Contest when we were talking about <laughs> when we were talking about your favourite song earlier on. Is it that all songs should be performed in French? Is that one of them? Imagine what a great idea! You know, there's so much English language stuff now. Let's just do loads of French. <laughs> anyway. So, how about we get rid of the three minute rule? Oh, TV broadcasters wouldn't like that, would they? <laughs> but right, because I think. I just wouldn't, it wouldn't happen, but I'd love to see it happen, just to see what would happen, because popular music nowadays is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. You know, a lot of songs don't even go past three minutes. So I'd love to see if they just got rid of that rule, would countries try and send songs? Would they try and take the mick and send a five minute song? Probably not, because people would probably lose like interest or appetite in the song during it. And then also would countries as well go, oh, well, there's not that three minute like to aim for. Can we get away with sending a song that's just two minutes? So I'd be curious. I don't think it would happen. And, you know, probably it wouldn't work. But I'd love to see what would happen. Also interesting as well, because it would mean that you would probably have less of artists having to adapt their songs for Eurovision. Like Marco Mangoni, when he won San Remo, he then had to had to change and slightly rewrite his entry for, for last year. You know, we've, we've seen it years, years and years, haven't we? We've seen that. So it's interesting. Okay, that's number one. Exactly. So for me saying I had no ideas, to me having three is quite remarkable. But uh, number two is that I feel like we should be allowed to have instrumental songs because obviously we're not. There has to be some vocal in there. I think like the closest we got, wasn't it, in... Uh, in the 90s when uh, it was Nocturne won. Yeah, Nocturne for Norway. For, for Norway with an Irish singer. So Ireland kind of <laughs> won that as well. But yeah. So it just sort of had that tiny bit of vocals at the beginning. And then the rest of it was mainly just like the violin and stuff. But again, you know, why not just like, why can't you just send an inst- instrumental track to Eurovision? I know it's a song contest, but song instrumentals are still songs. But probably my biggest one and my most serious one, and I think it should probably be looked at, is the winner's announcement in the grand final. Because we get nowadays, with the brilliant new voting procedure, we get that side by side, don't we, at the very end, where we've got the person who is leading the vote and then we've got one more country who needs to find out how much they've got from the televote. But in recent years, if we think back to two always come to mind, 2019, do you remember the side-by-side? We had Duncan Lawrence, and do you remember who we had? Was it Tamara from North Macedonia? No, so she'd won the... Uh, she'd won the jury, hadn't the she? The jury vote. But at the very end, it was Duncan, and then it was John, John Lundvik. That's it. And then he got about, I think he got about 90 points or something. But he only finished fifth. So it looks like, at that point, Duncan's won, and... Uh, and then John Lundvik comes second. He came fifth or something, didn't he? And then same in 2021 for memory, uh, the split screen was uh, Monoskin for Italy and then John Steers for Switzerland. And, uh, and he doesn't the points come second. Revealed. 
Yeah. He doesn't come second. He comes third. So then there isn't sort of like that moment for whoever's actually come second or, uh, you know, to have that moment. And I feel like it would be great if we sort of had like almost a podium in a way, like where we find out the top three and we like have a moment for the top three. Or if we have a moment for the jury winner, the public winner and the overall winner. You're not suggesting a reveal on the stage, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I'm not a TV producer. Uh, I don't have all the answers, but I have an idea. And I'd like, I would love to, to you know, for somebody to be able to do something with that because I, w- I think it would be great if the countries who finish in the top three or the overall winner, the jury winner and the public winner, that might be might be the same to be fair, those three, but, you know, that top three overall, I feel like should be able to have that moment because, you know, in a lot of competitions, you always have that moment for the top three. In a lot of sporting competitions, there's always a podium or like a medal procedure or something. And I feel like, for Eurovision, we should always have that moment for the top three. A Eurovision podium is a lovely idea. I really like that. Well done. Well, there you go. That's my that's my serious idea. <laughs> for for a man who had, as you said, you know, no ideas with about five minutes ago before we started recording this episode, they were all very good. Some sillier than others, but the Eurovision podium, big big fan. James, we have done it. We have taken a lovely journey through your life and the Eurovision Song Contest. And yeah, what a pleasure it has been. And hopefully this has been informative, not just for me, which it definitely has been, but also it's been really useful for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better as well. Did you enjoy yourself? I I, I did in a way. It was weird to be on this side. (laughs) And I hope it didn't just sound self-indulgent for people listening that we're just chatting to each other. Hopefully it came across well. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to do this again next week where roles are reversed and we find out a bit more about you. Well, James, for now... I mean, I'll chat to you in literally about three seconds' time, but (laughs) thanks very much. Thanks, Rob. You're listening to The Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And just like that, we're back. It's a bit like we can click our fingers and you're back in the room. You're back as a a fellow co-host and not as the interviewee anymore. I've just asked you how it was. Was it a bit therapeutic to go through all of that? I think so, actually, yeah. Because a lot of the time you don't end up talking about a lot of those things. Or at least I don't anyway, because I'm always asking the questions to other people. So yeah, just to sort of chat about it and get it out there. Get it out there. It sounds like a therapy session. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to charge you at the end, don't worry. Uh, but yeah, no, it was really nice. And some of those, you know, the... Uh, uh, the the what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say theoretical questions. You know what I mean? Like the last two, the one about the UK and the, yeah, the yeah, mood yeah. change and that sort of thing, um, is always quite fun. And some of the best answers always come from that. So um, yeah, interested to find out what people <laughs> make of my suggestions. So we've got a couple of questions hanging over from uh, the conversation that we've just had. The first one that you can get in touch about. Were you in the UK's postcard in 2014? <laughs> and also, a question I'd love to know the answer to. Have you ever had a vodka and iced tea, as James did at Eurovision in 2014? Do let us know. 
But seriously, though, do let us know your thoughts on anything you've just heard, any of James's answers and any of that conversation. We're, of course, all over social. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, threads. And, of course, you can send us an email as well. We're hello at eurotrippodcast.com or everywhere else we are just at eurotrippodcast. Yes, exactly, Rob. And next week, very exciting because, as I say, the roles are reversed. You will be the interviewee. I will be the interviewer. Uh, back in my natural habitat uh, where we get to grill you on your love of the Eurovision. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Song contest. So it's the exact same questions, but I'm going to be asking them to Rob so we can find out a little bit more about him before you join us on the rest of the journey through the contest with me this year and all the way through until Malmö. Yeah, very excited to be back on this series of the contest to me because the contest to me is one of the favorite things that we do throughout the whole eurovision year and we've got some brilliant people joining us as well later on over the next few weeks not just me and james don't worry so stay tuned for that but yeah it's nice to be back back in our regular place here if you're listening on the day of release on a wednesday a new episode in your podcast feed it's nice to be back something very familiar about it indeed yes so until we see you next time make sure as we say you can follow us online and as well make sure you subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars from me james it is goodbye and from me rob it's goodbye